In this episode of the podcast, I drive from London to North Wales and back in a KN. And I don't mean a Porsche. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth, and what am I talking about? A KN that isn't a Porsche. Well, that's because I'm driving a Kia. And I don't know if you've seen the new, relatively new, Kia logo, but it looks like the letters KN, where the N is backwards. You know, imagine capital letters, K-I-A, but the A is now counted to the right, as a vertical right-hand element, and it doesn't have a horizontal line between the triangle element of the A, if you know what I mean, to make it look like an A. So it looks like K-N, where the N is backwards. So I'm driving a K-N, a K-N EV6, a Kia EV6. Let's not go on about that. I think worrying too much about logos is yeah, not something we need to be concerning ourselves with because this is all about the car that I'm driving. It's a Kia EV6 GT Line AWD, all-wheel drive. Ooh, exciting. Yeah, because the last couple of electric cars I've had have either been front-wheel drive or rear-wheel drive. But this one, four-wheel drive, all wheel drive. Now it's the GT line which means it's got all the spec of the GT version of the EV6 apart from the extra power. Now I think this one if memory serves produces about 321 brake horsepower with over I think 600 newton meters of torque which is of course loads and the proper gt version of this car i think has over 500 brake horsepower which is immense really that's a very very quick car but this one being 321 brake horsepower is no slouch is it do you remember when we used to think 150 brake horsepower was enough when we all drove, I don't know, Volkswagen Golfs in the 1980s. Okay, maybe all of us didn't, but some of us did. So to have a car with more than double that power because it's electric is quite a thing, but actually needs more than double that power these days because electric cars are heavy. This one, I believe, is around about two tons and half a ton of that is batteries so of course petrol is a lot more energy efficient than a battery so if you want to have the equivalent range then you need to have a big heavy battery oh i'm now passing an ionic 5 in white on the back of a trailer very unusual now why is that car on the back of the trailer there are three possible reasons one the battery's flat and he's just getting a lift to the next charging point because he didn't plan his journey well two the car's broken down or been involved in an accident and it didn't seem to have any damage to it or three it's just been delivered for someone who knows but the reason i mention that is that the ionic 5 and the EV6 are, I'm not going to say brothers, I think they're brothers and sisters or brothers from another mother. The way that the mighty Hyundai Kia Corporation, hang on, I've got to say it right, it's Hyundai, isn't it? It's not Hyundai, it's Hyundai, even I've forgotten. The way that the mighty Hyundai Kia Corporation manage their cars is very well they do an awful lot of platform sharing but not badge engineering the ionic 5 and the ev6 are very different 
cars, very different looking. They share lots of engineering, but they have a very different culture. They have a very different appeal. The Ionic 5, as you know, like you heard me say it before, is an absolute belter, a phenomenal bit of quite avant-garde design. Whereas the Kia EV6 is a little more conservative, I think. Having said that, I remember the very first time that I saw an EV6. It was, I think, about November 2021. And I was going to, don't judge me, the London Jazz Festival with a pal of mine who likes jazz. I'm no jazz expert. I find it difficult to take seriously, which is tricky because jazz is music that you're supposed to take seriously, isn't it? But nevertheless, I was on my way to a gig in High Holborn and I saw an EV6 for the first time on High Holborn and it was one of those head swing moments. Wait, what's that? I've not seen it before. Ooh, looks pointy, looks aggressive, looks a bit Porsche-ish in some ways. Do you remember there was a Rover concept for a golf-sized hatchback that never got built, but it had a very distinctive bit where the roof and the tailgate meets, that kind of cross-shaped thing that you see on a great number of cars these days. The Kia EV6 has it. But the first time I ever saw it was on that Rover concept because this car has that rather neat element to it which does the job of making it look a bit more coupe-like or hatchback-like rather than estate-like. It's a nice bit of design that you see on a number of cars these days. Even the Fiesta has it to a degree, but I think it's very noticeable on this car. All right, let's talk about the first thing you notice, as Chris Goffey used to say when you drive this car. Well, the first thing you notice is that it's quite tall. Doesn't feel as wide as the Ionic 5, and it's nice looking. That classic thing, I pulled up outside the house in the car, parked it, and the kids who hang out at the end of our street said, oh, that's a nice car, mister. Is it electric? Yes, it is. And I proved it by plugging it in. The car was delivered with 85% battery. And I thought, OK, I might as well top it up. I've only got 15% to do. The car will be parked outside my house all night, so I can charge it from my 13-amp socket using the cable supplied and my healthy extension cable. So I ran a cable out, as I did with the last electric car I had, ran the cable across the tiny bit of pavement to the parking space immediately outside my house. I put a mat down to prevent a trip hazard and a cone to tell people that there was a cable there and nobody came knocking on the door, nobody complained and the car trickle charged overnight. Well, I say overnight, I put it on at about six o'clock in the evening and it said it was gonna take 13 hours at the low, you know, 13 amp, 240 volt charge I was using to top it up to 100%. So I left it on until I went to bed at about one o'clock, two o'clock this morning. And it topped it up to, I think, 94%, I think it said, 94%, giving me a range, an estimated range anyway, on the car, of around 250 miles which is good because the journey I'm doing today is 219 miles, that's at low speed, to North Wales where I'm meeting a chap who's going to interview me for a local radio station. So I said, okay, why don't you meet me at the Beaufort Park Hotel, which is a hotel I know near Rwydgrig, Mole is the English name, in North Wales. Uh, which I know has got a very good, I think it's a BP Pulse charging point, so I can charge my car there for the hour or so that I'm going to be there for the interview, and then head on to 
commie to my friend's house where I can hang out there with a car that will be in theory fully charged and then I'm heading into Erreri now I can't remember if I've mentioned the name Erreri before it's what we used to call Snowdonia but we don't use the English names anymore we only use the Welsh names so it used to be Snowdonia because it's the land of where you find Snowdon but we call it Erreri which is the Welsh word for the land of the eagle because yeah that's where you find eagles in the wilds of Erreri now the reason I'm telling you I'm going into Erreri is I'm going to be staying there for 48 hours in a part of Wales which doesn't have that many electric charging points and almost no rapid electric charging points. Now I'm staying at a campsite. The campsite, as I understand it, doesn't have an official electric charging point, but it might have a 13 amp plug that I can get near and plug into if they'll let me. And as I'm there for 48 hours, hey, I can just plug my car in and leave it to trickle charge. And that will give me enough power to get back to the major road network where I'm likely to find an electric charging point, a rapid charging point, so I can charge and go, charge and go. But as you know, and I'm sure many of you listening to Gareth Jones on speed are EV users now, driving an EV requires a different mindset to driving a petrol or diesel car. You can't just get in, go, fill up at your convenience and go, go, go. There just has to be a certain amount of planning. But I've been doing this for a number of years now. I'm very happy with planning my journey in a way which allow me to drive a car that is smooth, a car that is quiet, a car that is kind to the environment. Yeah, I'm a modern man. We used to call it the podcast for petrol heads, Gareth Jones on Speed. We don't call it that anymore. We say, Gareth Jones on speed, a slave to the driven. Thank you, Grace Jones, for that. We are a slave to the driven. What's this car like to drive? Well, using the Chris Goffey vocabulary of the first thing you notice was the turn in. I got to the first turn that I made on the car, hiked the steering wheel round, and it really whipped round. It felt a lot more lively in terms of steering response than the Ionic 5. I'm sorry I keep comparing it to the Ionic 5, but it's the nearest thing to this car. So, you know, it's worth mentioning. Yeah, felt a bit more lively, felt a bit more communicative. It was my only real observation about the Ionic 5 that surprised me, that it didn't feel like a driver's car. Yes, I know there is a sporting version of the Ionic 5 now, which makes it a driver's car. But the version I was in felt a bit inert in a nice way, very comfortable, easy, forgiving way, but it didn't feel like a sports car. Does this feel like a sports car? A little bit more, yeah, with that turn in. But, because I'm on a long journey, I'm driving it in eco mode, which of course tempers the throttle response that I'm using. I say throttle response. What are we going to call it? Potentiometer response? Because that's what your throttle has become these days, your accelerator pedal, your pop pedal. All right, I'm going to call it my pop pedal. And I've also engaged maximum regen using the paddles that you get with Kia EVs. So I never need to use my left foot at all, of course, because it's a two-pedal car, but I don't even need to use my right foot for braking because with maximum regen, most of the retardation is done not by the calipers on the discs, but by the motor now acting as a dynamo, a regeneration unit to put charge in the battery. Because, you know, I want to maximize the efficiency of this car. I'm not in a particular hurry. I've got to be in mold for five o'clock. It's now 12.45 and even allowing for 
a charging disappointment. You know, if I get to a charging point that's not working and have to find another one, it should give me enough time to charge up and arrive there with perhaps 40% charge, which means I can put another 30, 60% in while I'm at that charging point at the hotel. We'll see, I'm in no hurry, it's all part of the experience. Shall I tell you about the interior of this car? Yeah. It's got a massive screen, 12.3 inches, I think they say, for the center screen, and another one directly in front of me for, you know, speedo and nav and all that. And it's curved, ever so slightly curved towards me, which is a good idea, I like that. A curved screen, because when you get old like me, when you're in your 60s, your eyes don't work and every little bit of help keeping all the focus at the same distance from my eyes because of the curve. I'll stop the silly voice now. Might actually help, but it looks kind of elegant. It's nice, it's nice. The dashboard has a sort of a faux, it's not carbon fibre look, but it's a grey, soft feel bit of plastic with a diagonal black stripe on it and white stripes near the edge. Yeah, smart looking. Looks a bit incongruous. I don't know, would black have been better? Hang on, I've gone very high up. I'm going to come down and update. Would black have been better, maybe? All black with grey detailing. Yeah, it's okay. Looks nice. The other plastics. Yeah, nice Korean European plastics because Hyundai, Kia aren't necessarily a Korean car company. They are an international car company, aren't they? They're a multinational. They build many cars all over Europe. I'm not sure where this one was actually built. I'm going to dig that out and find out exactly where it was built. But yeah, what I'm saying is it doesn't have Chinese plastics in this car. They're quite nice, quite nice. But what do you expect from Kia? From Hyundai, you kind of expect value and a little bit of avant-garde because, you know, Hyundai have got some really wild, progressive-looking cars these days, haven't they? Kia, a little bit more conservative, I would say. Although there are exceptions. I mean, their names have got some wild names, haven't they, Kia? Stonic. That's a great name for a car, the Stonic. Sounds like something someone from Manchester would say. Hey, how are you? Yeah, a bit Stonic, you know. Could mean a number of things. The Kia Stinger had a wild name. In fact, that was the last Kia I drove, the Kia Stinger. And you remember how much I loved that car. Rorty V6, beautiful look had a feeling of Audi levels of quality about it. And is this car close to that? Yeah, I think it probably is. Yeah, close, not quite as upmarket. Like a posh VW rather than a relatively posh Audi. It's an expensive car, this. Let me see if I've got these fingers right in my head. This version is over 50 grand. I think 52. I'll check those figures. Which is a lot of money. Do you remember that the Genesis that I had, that was a 50 grand car. And I remember saying that felt like a lot of car for your money. Now, it wasn't an EV. And EVs are what? 30% more expensive than an equivalent internal combustion engine car at the moment. So there's always a premium for an electric car. So this car is a little bit pricier than an internal combustion engine car. But it feels nice, feels solid. It's quiet, of course, but all EVs are quiet. It's got massive wheels, 19-inch wheels, which you need if you're buying an SUV, because this is a kind of an SUV crossover, isn't it, this car? It has very tall doors, because the platform, the battery pack, is beneath my feet, and that puts us all 
a little bit higher, doesn't it? I say all, I'm the only one travelling in the car at the moment. It's a very pleasant, very black interior. The only bit of light on the interior are cream panels in the armrest on the door. And there's some shiny plastic on there as well, which is nice, isn't it? Right? That's a good sound, right? It sounds plastic, but it didn't sound ding-ding, it sounded duck-duck. <laughs> it's a duck-duck-go car, this. It's very familiar, you know, all the parts bin stuff is from the Hyundai Kia Corporation and it's stuff that I know my way around. It took me a minute or two just to familiarise myself with the controls. It has lane assist, it has distance to the car in front assist which works with the cruise control which makes it a very easy car to drive. Do we call this level two assistance? probably all you need really at the moment until we're absolutely confident level three and four is you know hands-free get in the car press a button go we're not quite there yet although we're not far away from it because as we speak where am i i'm not that far from milton Keynes at the moment and i heard recently that fully autonomous taxis were now piloting a scheme in Milton Keynes and I wonder what car they're using for that. I wonder if the EV6 could be adapted to be that car that make a good electric autonomous shuttle service. I'm not going to call it a taxi, it's a shuttle service. Call it on an app, it turns up, you get in, it takes you there. Actually I might go to, to Milton Keynes and just try that. See what it feels like to be in a genuinely autonomous car in Britain. But for now, a car which has all the driver aids you need is all you need if you're a car driver. What's the point of buying a car that's fully autonomous? You don't need to own it, do you? You can just call it and ask it to arrive when you need. Don't get me started on those sort of thoughts because, yeah, we're reviewing cars now, not... What do we call it? Future... Mobility options. Yeah, right. Future mobility options. I'm enjoying this car. Not disappointing so far. Let's see how we go over the weekend. And you're along for the ride. Yeah, listen to that, boy. Some banging tunes. You know, I've always had this thing on Gareth Jones on Speed. Hang on, let me pause the music. I've always had this thing on Gareth Jones on Speed where I try and identify what sort of music sounds best in whatever car I'm driving at the time. You know, I remember having a Saab a long time ago that really enjoyed Strauss, rather surprisingly. I've never heard Strauss sound so good as in that car. I remember having a car once that quite liked Cliff Richard. This is surprising, I know. You know, it's all stuff that just gets randomly played from my massive playlist. And yes, I've got some Cliff Richard on there. Hands up. Dear, dear Cliff. But amongst mostly lots of Slade and Welsh stuff, of course. But this car really responds to the Elite Boat Party 2012 mixtape. I think, which is what I was just playing. It's been playing for about the last two hours. It's very good. And it sounds great in this car, great in this car. I am concerned that this car has what we used to call schizophrenia, or we used to incorrectly call schizophrenia. When we talked about schizophrenia in the past, we meant multiple personality disorder you know someone who could be like a 10 year old child or a 70 year old man or a 40 year old woman in their mind you know they, they really had very different different very distinct personalities schizophrenia is a different thing right? as i understand it in mental health terms you have two states a state where you're coping with everything and a state of confusion think I've got that right. Forgive me, I'm sure you know more about mental health than me, but that's as I understand it. And I'm concerned that this car doesn't quite 
know which of its two personalities are in control at the moment. I'll tell you why. When I first got in the car and drove up the Holloway Road, the sat-nav, which is the proprietary sat-nav built into the car, said to me, turn left in two kilometres. I thought, oh, that's weird. Kilometres? Why is it saying that? And then we get onto the motorway and it says, your junction is in three miles. Bare left in three miles. And it seems to know the difference between miles and kilometres. As I understand, the settings on this car should be set to miles for the UK. I will double check them. There's an awful lot of settings on this car that I haven't had a chance to really get across because I'm driving it at the moment. But next time I stop, I'll look at it. But then I was driving along the motorway and you know how you get a readout in your dashboard of the local speed limit reinforced by data from sat-nav and checking and reading signs. That's what cars do these days. In the speed limit warning in my dash, it said 80 miles per hour, eight zero. What? That's impossible. The national speed limit in the UK is 70 miles per hour. So why did it read 80? A little bit later on, it started showing 70 again. And I think what happened was it glitched out for a moment, thought in kilometers, read a 50 mile per hour speed limit and converted it to kilometers, 80. Baffling, baffling. I'm keeping an eye on that. This is an electronic car, you know, electric cars, that's what EV stands for. But I think electronic car, slightly sexier, isn't it? This car does feel very electronic. When I pulled up outside my friend Vince's house, I called him my pal Vince, who you'll know has appeared on the show several times, has come to Le Mans with us. Uh, Vince likes his cars and I pulled up in his place near Solihull and as I arrived, the first thing he said to me was, he heard the space ghost sound that EVs make at low speed to let you know that they're around. He said, that's nice, mate, that's nice. And then he said, when I first glanced at it, I thought, is that a Porsche? Isn't that funny? That was my initial reaction when I first saw this car, like I told you before. Just for a second, what, Porsche? And looking at the car, it's got quite an athletic quality to it, almost feline. If you look at the front arches, it's more like the Jaguar I-Pace than anything else. It's got a pronounced arch over the front wheel, which you don't normally find in SUVs like this. And that makes it look a bit sort of get up and go. That's kind of nice. The front end of the car looks like it's going places. Back end, I was going to say a bit more conservative, but I'm not absolutely certain. I was staring at it when it was parked outside Vince's house. And there's a lot going on. There's a lot of creases and details and carefully chosen heights to make the car look like it's leaning forward. Kia know what they're doing with car design. Oh, re-Kia car names. I missed some of the other names in the Kia catalogue earlier on that I find are hilarious. The Seed, the Proceed, the X-Seed. They've got some more mundane names as well, like the Picanto and the Sorrento. Is that what it's called, the Sorrento? And they've got a new big EV. Is it called the EV9? Is that what it's called? It's going to be a big seven-seater EV. That's an interesting vehicle, isn't it? Almost Range Rover before Range Rover are doing it. They are on the march, aren't they? The Kia Hyundai Genesis Triangle. They really are punching above their weight. I've said this for years, but I genuinely believe it. It's true. Yeah, and Vince walked around the car and looked at me and went, nice, mate, nice. And he knows. So yeah, yeah, so far so good. Apart from slight mental health issues, a certain amount of multiple personality disorder, which I'm keeping an eye on. It's got to be a user thing, right? It's always a user thing. But I haven't changed any of the settings, so I'm going to explore them and fix them and report back in a bit, because I need to stop and get something to eat. 
I might even charge the car while I'm there. Why not? Little splash and dash. Or what do we say? Um, juice and loose? Yeah, something like that. Well, it finally happened. What could I possibly mean by that? I'll explain. I was on the M42 and I thought I'm going to stop and do a quick charge, grab a sandwich and a wee, you know, 20 minutes, just an efficient, super quick charge at about 50 kilowatts. And I turned up at a service station on the M42, on the toll road, near Telford, a place, I think the uh, services was called Chesney Hawks, <laughs> or something like that. I know it wasn't called Chesney Hawks, but that'd be a great name for a services. Oh, uh, you just turn left to Chesney Hawks, uh, find it, yeah. Anyway, I arrived and my suspicion as soon as I arrived were correct the whole place was full right every single parking spot was taken in the general car park I thought I bet when I get to the electric car charging section run by Gridserve where there were I think four chargers I think you can only charge one car at a time and it's charger though even though it's got two cables there are different connectors if I remember and I arrived there, and not only was every single charging point occupied by a very interesting wide range of models. There were two Kias, actually, Nero EVs. There was a BMW, is it called the iX3? With an awful grill. But hey, it's an EV. Do what you want. And uh, what else was there? There was something else interesting that caught my attention there. Um, oh, a little Citroen charging. Very good. And there was a Ford Mustang Mach-E waiting. And a Peugeot also waiting. Always charged. I thought, oh, no, man. I'm going to have to wait an hour at least. Two hours, maybe, at the most. That's no good. I've got to be in North Wales. But... I looked at my range left and I looked at where I'm going and I know there's a charger where I'm going. I'm hoping it's working. I've only got another 70 miles to do. I've got over 100 miles range. I'm confident. Having looked at the data concerning how far I've gone on the mileage it predicted, I think this car's fairly accurate in predicting its range. So I'm confident I'm going to make it to where I'm going and theoretically be able to get a charge there. I haven't checked Zap Map to see if the charger at the Beaufort Park is working, but keep your fingers crossed. I think it will be, because it's slightly off the beaten track. It is at a hotel though, and increasingly people come to these sort of business hotels in EVs, so it could be someone charging overnight. They could be there for a little while. But I do know that there is a passable charging network in North Wales at the moment, so if I can't get on that charger, let's see what I can do. Let's see. But this car has a healthy enough range. I'm not suffering range anxiety. I'm suffering charger concern. Range isn't the problem. Knowing whether the charger works or not is. I may have to pause and read before I get there, just to be certain. That's how you do it. Electric car driving requires a little bit of planning and uh, a little bit of faith, and a little bit of love. Uh, actually, I'm, <laughs> I'm quoting an alarm song now. Some of you out there will know the song D-Side. A little bit of love, a little bit of hope, some fuel for the fire, something like that. Hey, this isn't a music show, it's a car show. I also decided to take the economical route rather than the long route round, which I know will take me past charges. I'm confident if I take the economical route, the shorter, more direct one, it will get me there. I may see a charger on the way, but I'm not planning on charging. I just want to get there and charge. Let's see how it goes. Ooh, it's exciting. Electronic car update. I'm in North Wales. 
I met my pal Adam at the Beaufort Park Hotel in Munivisha or New Brighton, as it's known in English or thereabouts, near Urwydgrig in North Wales. Plugged the car in for a charge. It was a BBC, uh, BBC, it was a BP Pulse charge unit. Then I did this radio programme with Adam, which I thought was going to take, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes, and actually took two and a half hours. So for the whole time I was doing this, the car was charging. And we finished it, I went back to the car and it said 99%, and as I walked to the car, it went bing, 100%. 277 miles of charge were put in this car in that time, charging at 50 kilowatts, which is pretty good. Pretty good, pretty useful, and it was easy to set up with the BP Pulse app that worked, hooray! So you've got to have a little bit of faith. I wasn't entirely certain that that charger would be working when I got there. You never know unless you use ZapMap, which tells you the state of chargers all over the place. And I was late, so I didn't want to stop and start searching online. And I haven't got ZapMap configured in the Android Auto on this car. So I called my son, Indy, my youngest son, I said, Indy, do us a favour, go to this website, do a search, Beaufort Park, is the charger working? Yeah, used four minutes ago, it said, good charge, great. So I got there, there was no queuing, I was the only one, and I know I hogged the charger for two and a half hours, but I kept an eye on the car, and no one else came to charge, so bonus, it worked. So there you go. I think this is possibly the first time I've driven from London to North Wales without having to charge en route. I charged when I got here because the range of the car is not only good enough to get me most of the way here, 220 miles, 219 miles from home to Mould, and now I'm doing the, uh, what is it, next 60 miles to Conwy along the A55. And I know there are plenty of chargers here, but I don't need them. And I won't need them, I don't think, because I'll have enough energy to get me into Erri for the weekend. So yeah, it's all working out very nice. Now, that's the charging story. What's it like as a car to drive this? Well, as soon as I found out that the charger was working in Urwydgrig, I changed how I was driving. I came out of eco mode, went into sport mode, and drove it a bit more spiritedly where I could on the A5 and the A41, and made some very real progress around roundabouts. And that initial feeling, do you remember me saying the first thing I noticed about this car was its turn-in when I first got in it? Well, that turn-in is coupled by a lovely balanced rear end as well. It's a nice sporting car to drive this. I know it's only the GT line, not the GT, but it is well sorted and planted and feels like a driver's car. And that's the biggest difference between this and the Ionic. The Ionic was more of a luxury floater than this. This car, it will float nicely but it will also drive like a devil if you ask it to as well. And you know what? That's another example of the multiple personality disorder that this car has. And I like it because I like neurodiversity and automotive diversity too. Please follow A55 for four miles. Okay, I will do that. This is a bit of an experiment. I don't know if the car is going to do this, but I'm hoping it will. I'm approaching a junction for Sandidno Junction. Now, did you notice I said Sandidno, which is the Welsh pronunciation, not Landudno, as a lot of people say. And I'm hoping that the Sertnav, when it tells me where to go, is going to say go towards Sandidnot. Now, I don't know if it will, but earlier on today, I was driving towards Colwyn Bay to Rose-on-Sea to where my niece Paula lives, and I was astonished to hear the sat-nav in this car say, 
turn right to Llandrichlar and Ros, which is the Welsh name for Rose on Sea. First of all, the astonishing thing was that it used the Welsh name, and second of all, it pronounced it in the Welsh way, Llandrichlar, not Landrillo. And I think in the 10 billion years I've been driving cars, which have... Yeah, towards where? Tell me. Here we go. Let me turn it up. Hopefully it will tell me in a moment. Let's listen. You know, in the thousand years I've been driving cars that speak to you, I've never been in a car that pronounces Welsh names in Welsh. Let's see. Let's see what it does. Hang on, we've got a junction coming soon. Bear with me. It's kind of exciting. In 0.2 miles, turn half left onto a 470 towards better support. Did you hear that? Betus Urquoid. But they said Betus Urquoid, not Betsy Coed, which is how people tend to say it if they don't read it in well. Yes, towards where? Go on, say, say, Llandidno Junction or Cuffor Llandidno for me. Please, go on, sleep, please. Let's see. Leave at the third exit. Yeah, for where? Where are we going, though? Please say it. Please say it. Hang on. We're on the roundabout. Here we go. This exit. Now leave the roundabout. In point two miles, leave the roundabout at the second exit. Go on. Say Sandidno Junction for me, please. I don't think it's going to. But... You know, I'm very fond of this car. You've probably gleaned that from what I've said so far. But really, being able to pronounce things in Welsh, I will try and find evidence that this car does this. For at the second exit. And what, continue to somewhere easily pronounceable if you're... Leave the roundabout. It's not going to tell me. But hey, well done, Kia. Enough respect. Speaks Welsh, this car. Hello again. I'm on my way back down to London. Very slowly at the moment. I'm on the M54 and there's quite a lot of congestion, which is slightly frustrating because I'm trying to get home to watch the start of the Canadian Grand Prix, driving all the way from Erurie in North Wales. And I've got almost exactly enough energy left in the car to get me home, except I'm short by about five miles. Now, my guess is that this car would probably do that five miles. It would, you know, err on the side of caution when it advises you of its range. But I'm not going to risk it. So I'm going to do a charge and charge. Yeah, I mean, the electric equivalent of a splash and dash. Where I'm hopefully going to find a nice rapid charger and I can dump a few miles into this car. Don't need to do much. Might stick, what, 20 miles on it and then I can charge it overnight on one of the street chargers near where I live. So that's that. I'm hoping that. But the trouble is, as I'm now doing nine miles per hour on the M54... I'm guessing as soon as I get to a service station, all the people in this congestion are going to want to stop, and that means there'll be a bunch of electric cars amongst them, and that means I may have to wait to get on a charger. I'm hoping I don't, but you've got to build those things in. I did actually try and do a splash and dash round about Osborne Street, where I found a Genie Point charger at a Morrison's supermarket. En route, pulled up, there was another car charging on the other side of the charger, plugged it in, couldn't start the charge. The app I was using, it said it would start charging, then click off after a second. Ah, It still happens, but the thing is, when that happens these days, you know you're not going to be far from another charger. And I had a bunch of options earlier on in the journey where I could have charged the car, but decided not to. Anyway, 
I'm confident it's all going to work out. And wow, I've really enjoyed driving this car. And another one of those cars where I'm really sorry when they collect it tomorrow. Because this car is properly useful. I mean, seriously useful. With a range of over 277 miles, I would say, at motorway speeds, well, maybe 66 miles per hour, you know, this car is immeasurably useful. It will get me from London to North Wales without charging. And I'm guessing that if you need an electric car, you probably don't need something with more than that sort of range anyway. How often do you visit family or relatives or go visiting that sort of distance? And if you're doing that sort of distance, well, you're going to need to stop anyway, aren't you, for 20 minutes? So you might as well stop for 40 minutes and put a rapid charge in. Yet again, I failed to go to one of those ultra-rapid chargers that they have in Milton Keynes because this car will charge... I think up to 350 kilowatts. Surely that's going to make the whole vehicle swell or glow. But I'd love to give it a try one day. But you've got to do it when you're not in a hurry to go somewhere, but you need a rapid charge. So those two things are mutually exclusive, aren't they? Because you only ever need a rapid charge when you're in a hurry to go somewhere. But I need to find the exact location of this fantastic rapid charging, ultra rapid charging station and plot it into my journey. I actually like everything about this car. It's kind of inevitable because of the excellent platform that it's built on. There's one element of the car. It's the nearest thing I've got to a flaw on the car. It's got those fold-away door handles, right? They're completely flush with the door. It hinges at about 80% of the panel, you know, the, the kind of the handle panel. So you've got to push the 20% end before the rest of the handle emerges so you can pull the 80% end, if you know what I mean. Because the door handles don't pop out automatically like they do on a number of cars. They just don't do that on this, which I guess keeps the cost down, keeps the weight down. But it does require a slight mindset change. The number of people who come to get in the car with me, and they go to the passenger side and said, how do I get in? Because you instinctively press with your thumb, but that's the wrong side. You've got to use the other side. Because the hinge of the door handle is hinged at the front of the car. So if you're you know, left-handed, as you reach out and press the button, if you're right-handed, you'll get it right. But people are usually carrying bags in their right hand, aren't they? So that's about the only thing about this car that got close to bugging me. It's exceptional. It really, really, really is. And the driving experience in Erori was outstanding. I put it in sport mode. The all-wheel drive pulls the car out of corners with a quattro-like eagerness. I remember driving a Ford Sierra XR 4x4, do you remember that one? And I remember feeling how that car pulled with its four-wheel drive out of corners. And this car gives me a very similar experience. It's not a cheap car. There are cheaper Kias, but there are also very well-appointed, very slick bits of engineering. And that's what this car is, a superb bit of engineering, a fantastic range, a great look to the car, the pointiness of the front end of the car does a lot of work for the car. It makes it look like the Lotus Electra, perhaps, or, you know, an electric Porsche Macan. It's that appealing. I can recommend it highly. It's not cheap, but it is a superb car. The whole driver assistant stuff is beautifully well sorted. I have never felt that I'm ever fighting with the steering. It was completely in control. It reads the centre of the lane magnificently. And did you hear those bumps just then? Dum-dum. 
that's the only other criticism I have this car. It's a little bit jittery on broken roads, a little bit hard and wibbly wobbly, but that's the trade-off for having a car that handles and performs so well. You've been listening to Gareth Jones reviewing the Kia EV6. See you for the next on speed. If I ever get to the end of this traffic congestion. Good job I'm in an electric car though. Because in moments like this, you feel you're doing the right thing, right? Electric cars, they love congestion. For information on how to contact the show, see pictures, get song lyrics, follow us on Twitter, find our Facebook fan page, or to sponsor the show, go to garethjones.tv. Just a quick and tiny postscript to this programme. I've just experienced something I've never experienced before in a car. I was driving down the M54 and in the congestion, as you know, and I think I now understand what the congestion's all about. I think there has been a bit of a cloud burst, a bit of a thunderstorm ahead of us, and it's dumped loads of water on the motorway. So there's a decent amount of spray. But as we got to one point on the motorway, the amount of water on the road was so significant that when cars alongside me in this three-lane motorway went through it ahead of me, they threw up so much spray that my view, even with the wipers going hell for leather, was entirely obscured, totally. I could not see where I was going. Now, at the time, I've got the driver assist on. It kept me in the lane and it kept me a safe distance from the cars in front if they decided to brake quickly. There's no guarantee in that, I don't know, two, three seconds where I was completely blind that if I didn't have driver aids, I might have veered out of the lane or not seen the car in front stopping. So well done technology. That's it. I love electronic cars. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones!